Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everybody and welcome back to the Psyche Podcast and I hope you have had a good week since we last spoke on Wednesday. And for anyone who joined us on Thursday for World Suicide Prevention Day over on our Facebook Live, then uh, welcome. Um, But this is a replay of the interview. So uh, by all means, listen in again. Um, But if you joined us live, thank you. And yeah, just uh, just to to let you know that (laughs) it's the same interview. Um, But for anyone who missed it, I'm playing the, uh, the interview in its entirety. So usually when uh, we have a guest and we have an interview, I do a listen through edit. So just kind of minimal um, and tidying up. But I haven't done that with this because it broadcasts live. I've just left it as is. And um, before we dive into it, I just want to give a trigger warning. Uh, so obviously the conversation is around suicide generally and very open and honest. But there is a mention of a means of suicide. So, you know, before listening to this episode just checking in with yourself is a good idea to see if you're in in the the right headspace, the right emotional state to listen to the conversation. If at any point it's too much, then looking after yourself first and uh, thinking about the the self care you have in in place and your support network. If it's something that could possibly bring up some powerful emotions for you, so just before going into the conversation, just to give you that heads up and to think about your self-care first and foremost. And at the end, um, after the interview, I'll be back as always. And I will give some um, some helplines, uh, some places you can go for resources if you're concerned about your, yourself and your own uh, thoughts. And also if you are concerned that someone close to you is feeling suicidal, some places where you can go for support. And they are UK and US specific. So we have some of each. Um, I'll give a couple uh, of numbers um, and, and text services at the end. But also in the show notes, there'll be uh, some links where you can find a, a more detailed list of services that you can go to for support. And I think that's a you know, really important resource to have, whether it's for yourself, whether it is because you work with people uh, in the, the kind of mental health space, or if you have anyone you're concerned about. So yeah, absolutely stay tuned for those numbers and check out those resources uh, if you're looking for more specific numbers. So for example, I know in the UK, there are some specific helplines that aren't 24-7, but are available for men around men's mental health, uh, for veterans. Actually, the veterans might be US specific, but uh, for for children, for young people. uh, So yeah, check out the links for those more specific support uh, resources. And before we dive in, I just want to extend my thanks and gratitude again to all of our guest panellists. So we were joined, um, I'll go through them in alphabetical order, uh, Alison Blackler, Anne Allen, Claire Davis, Cara Crossway-Rindle, and Shiggy Pachter. So thank you to all of them uh, for joining me. And uh, as I mentioned in the interview, we uh, will be seeing them all again because they have all mostly I think all recorded interviews so standalone interviews on the show Uh, so some of those uh, will be coming out in the in the coming months so stay tuned for those and we've uh, put links in the show notes 
so that you can follow them if you want to connect with any of them. I'm not going to say any more now, just to say uh, thank you uh, to all of them for joining me. And suicide is a really difficult conversation or a topic to have a conversation around, whether it is because you are feeling suicidal, whether it is someone you know is feeling suicidal, and we really touch on what we can do, how we can have those conversations. And there is a bit of a kind of professional slant. The uh, the panel was predominantly people who are in uh, that sort of space uh, in itself, but we also talked a little about what we can do if we are not a professional, what we can do if we are just a normal, regular person to help people that we care about. And I guess something I wanted to, to comment on, we talked about the fact that these conversations are uncomfortable and they, and they can feel difficult because we have this real fear of doing or saying the right thing and really there isn't a sort of right thing to say and one of the most powerful messages was about just being there for people and and extending that support and I think with this whole conversation I went into it wanting to have this honest conversation wanting to to do the topic justice and to offer some support or some advice to people who tune in and I felt parts of the conversation were uncomfortable because it it brought up either emotions from me and my own mental health journey which it may do when you listen to it but also around that fear of saying or doing the wrong thing and you know I think that is that's natural part of it and there might be times where you say something to someone or in in a situation and you think I wish I hadn't said that and for me I think it's about reflecting and learning and thinking okay maybe I wasn't particularly happy with what I said there I don't think it was the right thing so reflecting what might have been a more appropriate thing to say but I think with with these kind of conversations that they are in themselves uncomfortable because there is there's so much um around suicide there's so much around that trying to support people wanting to do the right thing but and that sense of personal responsibility and, and these are all things that we touch on and people probably express way better than I am right now but um it's just something that I wanted to mention that this conversation may bring up I guess a lot of a lot of thoughts a lot of emotions a lot of feelings and as I mentioned putting yourself uh self-care yourself your emotional state I guess first and foremost and if you need to dip out dip out if you need to talk to someone afterwards talk to someone um and kind of reflecting maybe if you feel able to on what came up it and why it felt uncomfortable and for me that was something that I definitely did afterwards but I'm really pleased with how this conversation came together and with with how it went and I really hope that you find it useful that you take something away from it and um yeah that you enjoy it if that's possible with <laughs> with, with the uh, the subject matter but um yeah I'm not going to say any more now because I've already been waffling way too long but I will dive in and I will be back super quickly afterwards. We are now live on Facebook, hopefully. So hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our live discussion panel. And I'm really happy to be joined by some familiar faces to me. So everyone that's joining us has been or will be on the podcast. Actually, I don't think anyone's episode is out. And Claire, we still need to uh, organize ours as well. Uh, so welcome everyone and we're going to do a quick go round to introduce ourselves so Alison did you want to start first? 
Hi, yeah, my name is Alison, Alison Blackler. Um, I'm in the northwest of the UK. I run a business called Two Minds. I'm a coach and also an author. Awesome, thank you. Anne? Hi, I'm Anne Allen and I'm currently living in Vancouver, Washington, USA. And my business is Heal Your Grief, Heal Your Life. I'm an advanced grief recovery specialist and energy healer. Awesome. Claire? Hello, I'm Claire Davis and I'm based in Bristol in the UK and I run a business called Nova Associates and I'm a trainer, facilitator and coach for mental health first aid in the workplace um, and I look after people in the workplace for first aid. Thank you. Awesome. And Cara? Hi everyone, Cara Frostway-Brindle here in Denver, Colorado, USA licensed therapist and executive director of a nonprofit focused on youth suicide prevention called Catalively. So thank you. And then Shiggy and your cat who I can see kind of creeping in as well. I didn't I didn't think he was going to join but apparently he knows that he needs to be seen by the world. Um, hi my name is Shiggy Pachter. I'm a Dutch Kenyan lady living in London UK. Um, I run a business called AudioFi where we create audio content for online entrepreneurs and I'm also a sound engineer and DJ. Awesome and thank you all so much for, for joining me. Uh, for this really important conversation and so this is something um oh actually I should introduce myself shouldn't I <laughs> sorry uh, I'm Hannah I'm a mental well-being coach and the host of the Psyche podcast so if you're here you possibly already know what that is uh, so yeah thank you um but yes so today is World Suicide Prevention Day and suicide is one of those things that quite often when you hear the term people kind of go and uh, find it really difficult to, to talk about, but it's so important uh, to talk about. So that is the point of this, this panel to have a really open, honest conversation and to really think about some of these difficult questions uh, and to share some of, some of our thoughts. And so my first question to everyone, and uh, feel free to kind of wave if you want to chip in, is just how common suicide is. How big of an issue is it for us to be talking about? Mm. Yeah. Anne, go for it. I think it's bigger than people realize. I think it's something that we just are so scared to even say the word suicide. So many people are so scared that if we even bring up that word that it's going to give people the idea to end their own lives. Whereas in fact, it can be a relief and a release for people if we actually do. I think one of the things about statistics, I'm not a have no statistics particularly but we can get blinded by statistics but what we've always got always got to remember is there is a person at the end of that statistic that now isn't around and there's a family and friends that are connected with that statistic so you know I'm not I'm not one for knowing all the numbers I'm not very good with numbers in any shape or form but I just think that's always that keeping that personal element to it um, that there really are people and families and friends that are connected to that. So I, I will give you the statistics for the UK, actually. Pre-COVID, pre um, there were 15 suicides per day on average in the UK. Um, I don't know what they are since COVID, since March, but I do know it's increased. Um, I do actually know the Australian statistics as well. It's nine suicides a day. And of those per day, um, three quarters of the suicides are males. 
Um, so they are higher rates for males. But what's interesting is that the attempts of suicide are actually the same for males and females um, in the UK, and it mirrors that in Australia as well. So they're high rates. It's higher than people who die on the roads with car accidents. It's about three or four times the rate. I'd, I'd like... Oh, sorry, sorry, Anna. I was just going to say that that's one of the shocking facts here in Colorado. I mean, when you look at the U.S. as a whole, the top 10 states with the highest suicide rates, Colorado was one of them and continues to be one of them. And what is so heartbreaking to share with everyone is that this is the leading cause of death in Colorado for 10 to 24-year-olds. The suicide trumps car accidents, trumps accidents in general, and it's just heartbreaking to realize that this is the thing that's taking so many young lives. Mm. And I, I wanted to pick up on Alison's point about, and I think the statistics are really important to share, but I think also, um, and Clem, I might know more about this from uh, mental health first aid and, and the training with, with that, but that actually to have um, a cause of death recorded as suicide, actually there has to be really definitive proof that that is the cause. And so actually the, the real numbers are possibly higher, but also the number of people who are considering um, suicide or attempting suicide or even just kind of feeling the, those feelings of, of feeling suicidal I think are, are really important to think about and um, and I know we're sort of so far we're sort of talking from a professional level but from a personal level as well kind of having uh, you know I've been suicidal at, at times in my life and never sort of acted on them but had those feelings um, and and so yeah I think it's a really kind of complex is issue around that. That, that's a good point, actually, Hannah. Um, it, is a, it is known that so many deaths are not recorded as suicide, so the rates are a lot higher than that. Um, there's also two terms that I'd like to bring um, to the front, and one's called active suicide ideation, and the other one is passive suicide ideation. So active suicide ideation are people who are actively trying to complete their life Whereas passive suicide ideation, we need to be very careful of as well. These are people who have suicidal thoughts, don't actually want to live, but they don't do anything actively to, com to complete their life through suicide. So we need to be very, very careful of both, obviously, but with passive suicide ideation, we don't want the brain to then trigger to be active. So it's supporting people with both the ideations. And can I just piggyback on, on, on the back of that too, Claire? Um, I think a lot of people have the misnomer that to be suicidal, you have to be in crisis. And that is not the case. I have contemplated suicide twice in my life that I can remember maybe even more. Um, and I remember I reached a certain age and I, I sat and I was thinking, Am I just wasting space on this planet? Have I outlived my purpose, uh, outlived my usefulness? I mean, you know, really objectively looking at my life, it's like, what have I got? I've got nothing, you know, I've got nothing to live for, nothing to, nothing to look forward to. And it really made me think. And I was not in crisis. I was actually of sound body and mind, even though I was thinking of possibly leaving the planet. So I think it's really important that people understand. You, know, you don't have to be sitting there with a gun in your mouth to be suicidal. You can have a lack of purpose, a lack of clarity 
anybody in your life and still have suicidal ideation. And that does not make you crazy. It makes you a person who might be overwhelmed or who doesn't have the life skills or the ability to actually move from where you are in that present moment. I think before we move on to why it's so difficult to talk about, um, Shiggy, I know um, your episode of the podcast hasn't come out yet, but I know you share, um, and hopefully you don't mind me sort of uh, oh, go for it. Up, cool. uh, sharing about losing your mum uh, to suicide. And so I wondered if you wanted to sort of add anything. Uh, on um, yeah, uh, it, I, I thought I was going to be okay, but apparently things are kind of stirring, but I'll be okay. fine. Um, yeah, so my mum shot herself in the head. I'm just going to put that out there, right there, just, you know, because um, that's what does happen sometimes, even though people say it uh, doesn't necessarily, it does. Some people mm. do shoot themselves in the head. Um, and one thing that hasn't been mentioned, and I, I thought people were going to kind of uh, pick up on it, is there are cultural influences mm. as well. Um, so I realize I'm the only black person on this panel, totally fine, but I'm Kenyan, um, and there's a lot of shame around being different. Right. So it doesn't necessarily just have to be like if you want to kind of leave the planet, you know, um, however, however you want to kind of prematurely leave the planet. There's so many aspects of shame within various aspects of African culture and other cultures around the world. Of course, I can't, you know, vouch for them. I'm, mm. I, I can vouch for my own. Um, and that weighs heavily um, on how people act and interact so you know coming from both sides where people who do want to complete suicide you know that's one thing but then people who want to try and and be there for people who have the suicidal thoughts or tendencies or you know are just acting a little bit different there's a whole cultural kind of influence behind like do you want to get involved with someone who completes suicide or even has the thoughts of suicide because then if that comes back to family and you know it becomes this whole thing so um i think it's it's important as we, you know, carry on discussing that, there is um, otherworldly uh, views <laughs> on on managing yeah. and um, dissecting and um, supporting people when it comes to suicide. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and if it, if it is too overwhelming, you need to drop off at any point. Uh, for anyone uh, on the panel, then then that is absolutely fine. And and uh, thank you, Shiki, for raising that. And that actually kind of, um, I guess, tie into my next question which was about why it's so difficult to talk about and the taboo and and thinking about uh, as you mentioned the kind of cultural uh, differences and and beliefs um around suicide um yeah if any if anyone has any thoughts or if um I, I can i'll start on that one and, and it links all nicely to uh, again what siggy's just said about shame because i think one of the reasons why um it is so taboo to talk about is if if you I checked the year out in 1961, pre-1961, it was illegal to commit suicide. And that's why it was called commit suicide because they, um, and, and, and that's what people are still using. They're still using that terminology that, that it's shameful and that it's wrong. Um, and, you know, cause you don't say you've committed a heart attack and yet we still use it. And, you know, I'd love to see us not use that because it is linked then to a criminal activity which of which obviously it is absolutely not um but yes it only in six, 1961 um i checked when it when it was that was in the uk actually alison yeah and in other countries it was later than that okay fair yeah which i mean in some countries it was in the 90s that it yeah. was illegal yeah yeah which is 
is quite, quite horrendous. Yeah. You were considered a criminal if you attempted, which is dreadful. Dreadful. It just but, it just shows that it's meant to be unnatural, you know. And this it, this is where it gets really difficult for people to talk about. Well, I guess so. And we're obviously talking about kind of UK law, but um, you know, to Shiggy's point about the kind of the the cultural views that that even though you know we're we're you know sort of talking about the UK law, that there maybe are still parts of the world or cultures or groups that it is still um shameful and and taboo to talk about i guess i'll i'll I'll, um put something back in there uh with my mom's situation last year uh we have a family burial ground on our farm in kenya where everyone comes to rest and uh the village elders um do not believe in suicide so beyond it even being like you know le- illegal in, in you know the eyes of, of law of, of government when it comes to to local government um in kenya in 2019 it was it's still seen as a shameful thing um you know they don't believe in cremation they don't believe in divorce either so it was a long long talk it took two weeks to convince them like look it's our land but you know village elders whatever blah blah blah, blah. just just let it happen um so yeah so it's it's interesting to hear that you know suicide's only been kind of seen as a legal entity um recently but i think yeah um on a tribal level or even just you know kind of other local governments it's still still not approved of which is mm. strange mm. and that's on a religious level as well there's some religions that you, you don't go to heaven if you completed suicide. So I, that goes with the taboo as well, that we, we can't, you know, we cover up that it was suicide so that we can actually have a funeral in a church in some religions. And that just compounds the grief that people are feeling. And uh, I'm right there with you, Shiggy. There's there's many cultural um, things that go along with, with uh, suicide, with, with grief, you know, the way people grieve, the way they're allowed to grieve, the way they're supposed to grieve. So, you know, adding suicide into the mix does not help people. It, it further isolates them in their grief because people have this misconception about people ending their own lives and what has to happen or what had to happen to to make them even consider it. It's very, very sad. And then we get the situation where people who have maybe tried to take their own lives and who have not been successful, and then we get the the labels such as suicide survivor. Um, it's, it's like, guys, come on. You've now just labeled somebody. They're going to stay in that identity. They're going to stay in that misery because that's what they think they are. They don't know how to climb out of that hole. They don't know how to get the help that they need. They don't know how to reach out because you've just given them the label that's slapped on them now and makes them feel even worse in their grief and isolation so we have to be very careful about how we label things and and how we handle people because there's so many people out there who who maybe don't complete the act and they fall through the cracks and they may not do it again but imagine the life of loneliness and desperation and isolation that they're living because of that so we have to look at the whole picture, not just, you know, someone who actually goes through with it, but the people who had the suicidal ideation, the people who, who are so passive, um, like Claire is saying, you know, have the passive and the active. We have, to, we have to bring them all out into the open and let people be aware that there are so many people out there that may be considering it right now at this moment. Mm. 
absolutely. And um, I was going to come back to this question at the end, but because we're we're sort of in this uh, this conversation about how difficult it is, what can we do as, as a society? And I know we're sort of um, UK and the US, but also sort of thinking kind of globally and um, you know with the, with the kind of cultural differences. And I know that maybe that's not. Um, well, just just to share thoughts, really, I guess, on, on what we what we can do. I think it's um, losing the fear that we have about talking about it. Yeah, almost as simple as that to start with. You know, I think the, the, it links to the you know taboo, make the make it easy to ignore, make the problem easier to ignore. It kind of everyone just hides behind that, and I think. To start with, it's just um, trying to talk about it more, which I know there's been lots and lots of campaigns, certainly in the UK, um, Speak Up and lots of different campaigns that have been running, trying to help people feel that they can talk about it. But I think that has to be our starting point for, uh, for me anyway. I agree, Alison. I think a lot of people are scared to do it because they think they have to take on the responsibility to to actually take that person and take them right through and 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 you know prevent them from doing anything. But the thing is, most most people are not trained to to know how to help somebody. They don't have the mental first aid um, capabilities. They don't, or or they're not a licensed therapist or a licensed counselor or someone in the mental health field. And I think a lot of people just feel so well I don't know what to do so I'm not going to do anything kind of thing whereas sometimes all somebody needs is just for you to reach out your hand and just say look I can see you're hurting I don't know what to do but where can I maybe take you how you know who, who do you think could help you right now just acknowledge that you don't necessarily know what to do but you're willing to stand beside that person and be super uncomfortable right now and out of your comfort zone big time, but you're willing to at least take them by the hand and say, look, let's find somebody who can help you. I think when we really do that, then we're acknowledging that person, we're acknowledging our own limitations and that hopefully will take away some of the fear that Ellison's talking about because we can't be everything to every person. It's just not possible. I'm definitely not suggesting that we all become counsellors or crisis support workers but, but I think there is that misconception that people fear talking about it because they think that's going to make it worse for the person and you know when I when I've spoken to people who've tried to support somebody they're terrified of saying the wrong thing and that fear just just takes takes over and then they don't do anything which you speak to most people they do want somebody to ask them they often find it very difficult to admit it, but if somebody asks them, then it's easier to answer a question in some, not, and obviously not, I'm not, I can't say for everyone, but in lots of cases, people often say, if somebody asks me, I'm likely to, I might say, yes, I am struggling, but if, to come out with it in the first place is a really, really big thing to say, I'm, I'm really struggling. So, and I always think it's, you know, picking the right people to, to say as well, isn't it? Who, who are you going to, who are you going to ask? To help you as well because there's some people who probably don't know what to do and will mess it up and then there's some probably who you can rely on it's always for me it's finding out who you who your network is who your support network is and, and trusting one of those people but it's not easy to do i know that and and it's actually using the word suicide when you ask not being scared a lot of people say 
oh, I don't want to use the word suicide because it's going to put the thought into their head. Well, actually, the thought's <laughs> in their head. Yes. So to actually say, have you had suicidal thoughts? Definitely. And ask the word, you know, ask it quite directly um, because it's what people are thinking. Even if they're not thinking it, so I had a situation recently where I, I, I did ask a friend, have you had suicidal thoughts? And she hadn't, but she said it was the best question to ask because it made her realise why she hadn't had suicidal thoughts and why she was still there, why she was still here. She was so low about things that happened in her life. She said, I'm so glad you asked that question because it made me realise that I do have a purpose and I do need to keep going. So sorry, Cara, I interrupted you. No, it's fine. I was just, there's so many thoughts going through my mind as I'm listening to the conversation. And I know some of the bigger challenges in the U.S., we have a couple different things, one of which is we're afraid of it, as, if, as I'm hearing from everyone on this call. But I also am noticing even the trained professionals weren't comfortable, right? So I'm hearing that from Anne and Allison specifically, and Claire, you alluded to it a little as well with like the absence of training. And so I've taken it as a personal mission here in Colorado to say, how do I normalize that we need to have this conversation, that it's not just a cold clinical checklist. It's leaning in and saying, how can I help you? Because if we have the quote unquote authorities saying, I'm supposed to be able to hold all this trauma and all this other stuff for you, but I can't talk about suicide. I think there's something very wrong with that. That the very people we say, go talk to these people to get help, aren't feeling equipped to have that conversation. And so we're doing a lot of trainings in the community to normalize, like, go here, ask this directly, ask about suicide. It's not giving them the idea. Um, and then we have young people who are saying, like, no one cares about us. So, like, we need to be the role models, right? If we can model this for them to say it's okay to talk about, will we actually create more of that ripple effect that we're hoping for, which is compassion and hope and more lives saved? Yeah, and... Oh, sorry. Um, so, Claire, I, I know that you're, uh, you got your mental health um, certificate, correct? And I don't know if it's the same as it is here in the U.S., but I did mine too. And, and that is, uh, if, in, if everybody could do that, it would really help them to at least set the stage because I have no problem asking people. I've, I've asked people point blank to, you know, do you have a plan? Do you feel like harming yourself or others? And... Um, and it's it really is very helpful to people so the more people you know people will go out and they'll get trained for first aid and for cpr we got to get them out there now and get them trained for mental health certificate um because it will it will give them the courage to just speak up and when you do it once it gives you the courage to do it again because it is it sounds like you know you come up to someone so do you have thoughts of hurting yourself or someone else it's not an easy thing to say for a lot of people but yeah cara i love what you're saying that you know you realize that this is a huge problem in your neck of the woods i mean that's that's insane that it's above in fact i was just listening to a wonderful ted talk yesterday about marielle hemingway and uh, she was bringing up the fact that um it, we've got 25 percent of teenagers between the age of 18 and 25 since the pandemic that are now having suicidal ideation because they're feeling so isolated because social media is not supporting them the way that it once did. I mean, 25% of just that demographic alone. So our world is changing daily. And, you know, now we've got all these other things coming in to, to be the stressors as well. 
So yeah, if we can get people to do their mental health certification, that would be awesome. That'd be really yeah, good. And, and in the workplace, I think something that people aren't aware of, so I'm a mental health first aid instructor in the workplace. So when I did my certification, when they mentioned suicide and we should be asking these questions, I'm like, why am I doing this certification? I couldn't ask these questions. Um, it's so important. And, you know, I've had companies that have said, no, 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 I'll put off the mental health first aid certification. I'll put it off. I'll put it off because, you know, we're fine at the moment. And one company, a large company here in the UK, then did have a suicide about six months later. And then they came to us and it was somebody very, very high up. So it's realising that if we can actually talk about this in every situation in life, not just amongst friends, let's bring it into conversation in the workplace as well as among friends, as well as in our religion, whatever, with our families, let's start bringing up any mental health conversations, get people talking about their emotions and their feelings because talking is cathartic and it helps us to heal. I was just going to. I was just going to pull together the, you know, the the, the thoughts around the the mental health first aid uh, and professionals, and and that it can be that people can feel that it's difficult to have these conversations, and and just wonder whether when people are having these trainings, uh, we touch on the kind of cultural differences because I imagine that that is something that people maybe find difficult and. And again, shy away from maybe asking and whether that is part of our training and our, our education to actually for professionals or generally to think about the differences um, and to think about how we can support people rather than just kind of saying, well, this is kind of what we know and how it is. And so we're going to just do it this way and kind of forget those, you know, that there, there are maybe religious differences or cultural differences, if that makes sense. I wonder whether that's something, you know, for professionals here whether that's something that was ever touched on in your training, whether it's something that comes up in mental health first aid or whether it's something we don't talk Probably about. doesn't come up enough because there's so much to cover. Um, what does come up is treating people individually and respecting the person for who they are. So, it, yeah, we, I discuss it in my training. It's not something that every mental health first aid instructor does but it is very very important depending on the organization you're working with and their cultural because every organization's got a different culture you know it, it doesn't matter just about different races or religions it's you know we've all got different cultures every organization are going to has different values so it's respecting people for who they are yeah. good point i think to allison's point What's resonating with me is the humanity of it all. So we've moved away from just asking about thoughts, plan, intent to now saying, like, how did you get to this place? How did you get to this deep, dark experience where now suicide is possible? And I found that as soon as I started to engage people one-on-one -on -one with that kind of intimate conversation, I got more to the root of it, which is pain. For a lot of people who are suicidal, it's more about pain that they feel like isn't going to change, that there's no escape from it, and therefore suicide becomes an option. Um, and some of that is being solidified by research, but I think it's more that human to human connection of like, okay, if this is where you're coming from, can I sit with it with you in that pain? Can I be with you and just understand that this is how this happened? And it's not really about the question as much as the compassion, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, definitely. I wonder if anyone else wants to, to kind of dive in on that before I pose my next question to you. I'll I'll dive in on onto that one because um, like sitting here I'm like amongst a whole bunch of professionals it's amazing to kind of hear like all these kind of ideas and stuff and I'm just sat here kind of going okay now I'm going to normalize it to my friends because like there's you know you've got this kind of world where like getting the certifications and everything is great um, but my friends are all like burlesque performers entertainment people like we 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 won't really ever kind of be in that space where we maybe have the time or inclination to kind of like, you know, kind of build our own toolbox um, in a in a certification to help our friends. So it's, it's I'm just sat here thinking in, in the same kind of fashion that Car is doing, um, how do normal people, like average people kind of get their thinking around of creating normal conversations or creating spaces for people to have um, vulnerable conversations because um something that i hear and and it's something that a lot of uh, people have is like being able to sit and be uncomfortable with someone and be like hey I, I have no idea what the hell i'm doing and i'm just sitting here with you if you genuinely if you need anything all right and all you need to do is just make a squeak i will go make you a cup of tea all right you know being giving people that ability i think and, and really normalizing that conversation um just in everyday everything right because like social media is should, should be helping right now right we're in lockdown and social media is where a whole bunch of you know everyone is looking out because they're alone at home and there's nothing you know there's still this ongoing kind of stream of just a uh, superfluous whatever existence of you know throwback to when i could go outside it's like no don't don't look outside like we're we're all inside and we just want to have a normal conversation and some of us are feeling really lonely and we don't know how to just have vulnerable conversations with people. And I think, um, Kari, you're really hitting a lot, like just for, for people who are out there learning how to um, just connect with people. And I think it's a long-term thing as well. It's not like, mm. you know, like today's, you know, World Suicide Prevention Day and everyone's like, hey, I'm here if you need me. 90% of the people will be like, thanks. That'll be it, right? You know, like, like people aren't going to go like, oh, hey, I need you, right? It's something that needs to have happened a long, long time ago where you just keep on annoying or poking that person going, hey, I love your face. How are you? How are you doing? You're looking a bit sad today. Can I give you a hug? Okay, you don't want to hug. Like, you know, something like that. I think trying to normalize that would be um, a good way going forwards or something. I, I think you sound like you've got some great ideas of what you need to say. Uh, Ziggy, to be fair, <laughs> I think it is about just no, just letting someone know that you, you're there and you've you, you've seen them or you've heard them. Um, lowering that anxiety, just to have somebody notice that you're not on, you're not having a good day, or that you've you've been offline for however long, whatever it is that you would notice. What they say is people just feel it is very lonely. Uh, there's no doubt about it, um, and just for someone to notice um them uh, so i think almost what you've said the normalizing thing is is exactly that it's just being human and showing love really and just showing somebody that you are you're interested in them um enough to be bothered and i think the thing that you almost said it but the thing to often say is you don't just actually say i don't know what to say but i'm here but yeah. to actually just say that because often you don't you know we don't have the answers for each other we've got our own answers and i think sometimes people get a bit tongue-tied thinking they've got to come up with some magical potion for each other and you haven't you've just got 
that person's got to work it out for themselves. And I think often just saying, I don't know what to say. I haven't got any answers. I wish I had a magic wand, but I'm here. And I think that it ultimately just gives people a chance to just lower their anxiety a tiny bit, to feel that they're not on their own. And then the rest is still a, a journey to go on for sure. And it's a journey, a personal journey for each, each individual. And we can't, we can't fix people. You can't fix people. It's up to them to help themselves. Um, we can only support people. And I think the most important part of the conversation is actually to be quiet and listen, let people talk. And we're not, we're not taught how to listen. Listen people. to understand, not to respond. Well, if you unjumble the letters of listen, I want everyone to unjumble the letters of listen in your heads. What do you get? Anyone work it out? It's no. not tinsel. Damn, that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> it's above my pay grade. My brain won't do that. Yeah, I just <laughs> had a mental block. What is it? <laughs> silent. Uh, oh, yeah. So we should be being silent when we listen. Okay. Anyone's watching now, we're all like, oh, what's... I can't uh, <laughs> yeah, I do it quick enough. I think the other thing that has to be said here is, of course, that people who um, do do go down this path, they, they will have had people who have said, hey, I don't know what to say. Hey, I'm here for you. Hey, I'm, that still happens. You know, it is one person just being there doesn't necessarily equal that somebody is still and hasn't made that decision that it is right for them. Um, and I think something that Anne said earlier, that often people are very calm. People are very, you know, they, they have, they've made that decision and it, it, all the people. And I think that's what makes it very difficult for friends and family after an event is that they were questioning, what did I miss? Was I there enough? And of course, sometimes you were, and it still, still is, sadly, that's the decision that they make. And I think that makes it complicated, really complicated. Because if only it was as easy as just saying to everybody, hey, are you okay? You know, and everybody, but it's not, it's so not, so complex. I had a conversation um, on my YouTube and podcast called Mental Health Chats with Tony Phipps, who was a Marine. And he said exactly that. He said, often we can't spot the signs because the person's made up their mind and actually they're in a good mood because they've made up their mind. So their mind, their mood increases. Um, so it's very, very difficult to spot the signs. Um, so it's, it's realizing as long as, you know, we're aware of that, that it's a very, very difficult to be on one of the people who are left. I think Kari, you told me the statistic of how many people it affects the other day. Yeah, so at minimum, um, I think this is just a U.S. statistic so far, but 135 people are impacted by each death by suicide. That's the minimum number. So when you think of our celebrities, our influencers, that could look dramatically higher. Um, you know, what I'm noticing is that we're kind of talking about what I consider two different groups of people. They're the ones that show no signs, which make all of us very nervous because we can't help the way we'd like to. And I would like, I would like to reassure viewers that that's the, that's the outlier. That is not the norm. I think there's plenty of people that because of that pain, we can see some of the signs and we just have to be tuned in and sit alongside them and really get to know them to see that. Because um, I think if this was true, if we really couldn't see the signs, one, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but two, it would be, it would be uh, frivolous, right? It would just be something we couldn't 
make an impact around. And I know this panel came together because we all have hope that this can get better and that we can do something. Yeah, and I, I'd really love to come back to Shiggy's point that, you know, we, we've kind of talked about the, the sort of professional angle, but, you know, and, and, I, and I agree with the, when we have the awareness days and I have this love-hate relationship and I kind of piggyback on them because I think it's important when the attention is on something to talk about it. But I quite often see those, oh, I'm here if you need to talk to me, which is great. But if you really need to talk to someone, it can be so hard to reach out just to anyone, but particularly to, to a sort of professional. So, you know, with your friends being able to notice those changes and I love to poke them in the face and say, I miss your face. And, um, but to see that and to have those conversations, um, because yeah, it can be so hard and, and, you know, to reach out for that support and and even if you do reach out to access it because i don't know about the us but in the uk waiting lists for uh, for mental health support counseling are just i don't even know what they are at the moment but um months yeah it depends on the area that you're in it can be up to six months <laughs> yeah, yeah. i didn't get it just because i couldn't cope with <laughs> with that Mm. I worked in the NHS for 24 years and I got fed up because you couldn't give people what they needed. Mm. So it was not, not to say the NHS isn't great in lots of ways, but it still uh, was very, very frustrating. Mm. You couldn't, couldn't offer people what they needed. You were told it's getting to the point where you, it was a phone call and then a couple mm. of sessions. It's just not, not what people need at the wrong time. Mm. So I wonder if we could spend a moment on that idea of, trying to normalize the conversations not on a and i know a lot of professionals here but not on a professional level but on that person to person level that if you have a friend or a colleague or someone that that you're concerned about because there have been changes maybe um in their in their behavior or they've said something what can we do to to support them to be there for them how can we start to do that normalizing I'd like to to um, to piggyback on what uh, Shiggy was saying. I um, I agree wholeheartedly with what she's saying. There's, you know, getting people certified would be wonderful, but that's just not going to happen in the world in the real world. And what we have to understand is. At the end of the day, we are just people and bringing back Alison's um, viewpoint of there's so much fear around it and fear of, you know, we're going to say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing. Yeah, we're going to screw it up. We're going to make a mess of it and we're going to say something that may not work or we're going to get a blank stare. But the thing is, we're in this for the long haul. It's not just Suicide Awareness Day, as we talked about. This could be something that happens over two or three years. And if you are committing to helping somebody, it means that you may not get a response from them. It means you may not get them to do anything. It means that they may actually go ahead and end their life and that you are not responsible for that. And we have to remember we are only people at the end of the day and we're only a sum of what we have learned and what we have experienced and what we can bring to the table. And we have to be okay with that. And that's where we've got to normalize it. You know, we're six people sitting here. We all have skills and abilities, obviously, but we're not going to save the world and we're not going to save everyone. And that's really hard for people to wrap their heads around, especially when someone does go ahead and end their life. It's like, well, I screwed that one. No, you didn't. 
And we've got to be okay with that. And that's what makes it so hard to normalize. That's what makes it so hard because just Claire and I were having a discussion earlier today about people trying to fix things. We can't. Everybody's responsible for their own journey and we're only responsible for what we bring to the table. Have you guys heard the starfish story? Anne's, Anne's comments reminded me of this really powerful story. Some of you are nodding. Um, I think therapists love it, so this is probably not news to those of you in the mental health sphere, but it's the story of a boy who's on this beach and there's thousands of starfish that have washed up on shore. And so he starts picking them up and throwing them back into the water to save them. An old man walks along and says, what are you doing? He's like, you can't possibly save all of them. This doesn't matter. The little boy looks at him, picks up another starfish, throws it in the water and says, it mattered for this one. Yeah. So powerful, it gives me goosebumps and makes me wanna cry every time. But you know, this is where <laughs> some of us have our calling because if we can make a difference for just one person, is that enough? I think, it's, I think the opposite to that as well, it's quite uncomfortable for a lot of people to, to think about, but for some people, it is the right thing for them. There are some people who just don't and can't work, live, be on this life, this planet, this vibration, whatever you want to call it. There are just some people who, and it's hard for people to, to hear that, but it is true. There are some people who they, they have absolutely decided it's the right thing for them. I've worked with a few people and it's, it's, it's hard to hear, but it's something that they absolutely, it, with very sound mind. And I think that's that taboo as well. Um, I remember once years ago going to a, a funeral and the, the vicar said that there's no one in this room who could have changed this person's mind. And, and it's, it was powerful, really horrible and powerful as well. So I think, we, I think that comes for me into the mix of how difficult it is to think about and talk about because it goes against what we're all meant to be doing, which is surviving. And, and living it's uh, it, does it not go into the whole a lot of people just don't want to talk about death just generally you know some people find that very difficult to talk about I mean and you you know that's your specialty but that's sometimes as just as um, uncomfortable I love you bringing that up Alison I really do because there are some people who don't want to be here and that is okay that's their choice it may we may not like their decision but they have the right to choose so thank you thank you for supporting people and their decision to do it yeah there's some people who just don't even want to talk about emotions on any level okay so it's it's a case of with with mental health you know it's all about emotional fitness it's all about working out our own emotions and aiming for positive mental health um but it's just opening up conversations about emotions um, which is much harder than talking to someone about their broken leg. You know, if somebody comes back to work from depression, everybody keeps clear of them. But if somebody comes back to work because they've broken their leg, it's like, wow, it's almost like they've been on a holiday. It's, it's very, very tricky. Do you think that's that, uh, that fear of saying the wrong thing again? Because if someone comes back with a broken leg, there's, I mean, you're probably not going to have a massively negative impact on them from what you say, but if they've come back with depression, then there's maybe, what, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I make things worse? What if I've upset them? Um, so maybe we just, we just don't. Yeah. And you know, maybe uh, suicide is the same, that we have that fear. So I'm just, 
it's safer not to say anything than to say the wrong thing. Definitely. And I think coming back to what Anne said about responsibility, there's a big fear about being responsible. You take responsibility if you ask somebody and then you're, you're then responsible for that person. I think that's another reason why people don't, uh, don't speak to each other. I always use the, the metaphor of big, you know, this piece of kit we've got up here is very, very powerful, but it causes us so many problems and so many challenges um that you know that's that's the that's the the thing that we need to talk about really isn't it is how we all manage our minds and our complex processing as human beings and i was gonna say it gets more complicated during covid when all of us are being stretched beyond our limits of what we were able to cope with i don't think anyone was prepared for a pandemic and so i'm seeing a lot of burnouts even in the community to be like can i hold space for somebody else when i don't think i'm even taking care of myself um, that's something I hear a lot of like, I can't listen to my friend right now, or I feel like a horrible friend because I just can't be emotionally invested when I'm falling apart on the inside. And so I wanted to kind of normalize that too, that we're, we're being stretched in a whole different way right now than what was previously the norm. Um, and it's making the youngest two generations feel even more isolated because they're like, no one can handle me. No one can handle my stuff um, because I can barely handle my stuff. And so it's very interesting to try and support that shift when it happens to be like this isn't necessarily true but this is the the narrative i have in my mind i've convinced myself this is my truth definitely thing yeah. with that oh sorry go on oh after you um i'll just again with with the idea of like isolation i think with all the technology we have like communities dissolved into nothing which is a shame because you know pulling back like in Kenya, like it literally takes an entire village to raise a child and that still happens. You know, you, I, I go home and I have like a hundred aunties that I don't even know are my aunties, but they recognize me from like when I was two. And they're like, oh, I remember when you did this and you broke your toe and you came and cried to me. And I'm like, who are you? I love you, but who are you? And like, you know, that isn't normalized anywhere like in, in modern society. Like we, we've been torn apart so much for for the idea of you know individual success and all this kind of stuff and like we really champion people who who did it on their own you know they they went through hell and they did it on their own it's like no 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 they fell apart and they had 10 friends who took the burden and and looked after you it's not a burden they, they took a normal um part of being human I'm gonna, I'm gonna rephrase that um and they they helped you and you helped as well so in a group of 10 people everyone's always got each other's backs because uh, like Cara is saying one person to hold space for one person is is huge you know and you're gonna keep on doing that and in, in pandemic you do it for over 179 days right for one person it's like that something's gonna give you know so i think yeah just trying to normalize community support as well like you know just having a group of people like a network was mentioned earlier um that needs to come back in as well so people don't get that feeling that hey i'm talking to this friend but this other friend's now calling me have i done something wrong it's like no that's just just how the playbook is now and it's okay so yeah so we've got how are you? about 10 minutes left so <laughs> Um, so that we have time for kind of final thoughts, I think there's something that that we could try and talk about all night. And as we've said, we can't 
change the world we can't kind of fix things but hopefully more conversations like this and kind of normalizing the conversations and you know if people listening feel a little bit more comfortable to do that person to person kind of conversation and and support then and then hopefully um we've done something here <laughs> this evening um but if we can go around and uh we're gonna go uh, if everyone's comfortable reverse alphabetical order um if you've got a final thought unless anyone um because shiggy i'm gonna come to you first i don't know if you're ready for a final thought um um <laughs> uh yeah i think like okay yeah i've i've, I've got something um mm. just just with people i think it's actually going off what i literally just said um with normalizing conversation it's important to be okay with being uncomfortable um mm. and as we kind of like pulled apart in in the conversation like saying it out loud i mean like i don't know what the hell i'm doing but i'm here for you um is really really important just to kind of be as vulnerable as the person you're with is being um and then also to try and just encourage a community space where like you know you've got your cluster of people and just everyone talks to everyone not this kind of like oh, i'm not feeling great but don't tell so and so it's just like just have that thing where i say you're not feeling great and you know everyone else is just going to be like cool all right we're not going to bombard you but also when we see you we're just going to give you a little bit of an extra tight hug you know mm. and that kind of stuff so that's my final thought absolutely thank you for that cara you know, I'm going to play devil's advocate and say if there are viewers that are taking this all in and still feeling very activated and very fearful, I also want them to know that that's okay. And then maybe the final message for me would be if you aren't the person that can have this conversation, find somebody who can. Um, you don't have to shoulder the whole thing. You can definitely pursue, you know, trainings and things that would make you feel more comfortable. But if you absolutely cannot do this, that's okay find somebody who can. Thank you. Thank you. Claire. I'm going to go with um, early intervention. And so that's spotting the signs as early as we can, but also our own signs. We've got to be responsible for our own positive mental health. So spotting our own signs of when we're feeling a bit low, and what can I do to get on top of things? not be on this roller coaster. Let's make that a little bit more even. Work on our emotional fitness. We all work on our physical fitness. So let's, what can we do every day to work on positive mental health to make us feel good? Awesome, thank you. Anne, coming to you next. Yeah, be emotionally honest. What can you realistically do? What can you realistically give? We can't give 150% every day. That's just not possible. If you can only give someone 20%, give them 20%. If you can give them 175%, give them 175%. But be very realistic about the, about the help that you offer. And if you say you're going to do something, be there. Awesome. And then Alison. Um, I think very simply, I would just like to say it's not okay. It's okay to not be okay. I think almost as a mantra sometimes just to ground people just to be okay if you're not feeling okay. And I think sometimes it's just noticing that for some on some days for some people, it's a brave step just to get up and get dressed and just and just to be okay with that and to lower the expectations of of trying to do lots of other things that you think everybody else is doing and comparing yourself to everyone else. So sometimes it is just an effort to get up 
and get dressed and just be chuffed with yourself that you've managed that if you are somebody who's struggling at the moment. Awesome. And see that we've whizzed through that now. <laughs> Leaving yeah. enough time and we whizzed through. So I'm going to attempt to see if we're live, hopefully we're live, and if we've got any questions or any comments uh, on there. But we shall see. This is where I get the... Mm. I don't know. Um, if we have questions, <laughs> feel free to uh, pop over to the, the video. And then if you want to uh, respond to anyone's questions or comments on there, then uh, that would be awesome. Um, because I am by no means an expert uh, on this. Um, but I think, you know, as we've been kind of saying, it's, you know, if we're, if we're thinking I have to be an expert, I have to know what I'm doing. I have to understand it. And that's ne never going to happen and then we're afraid to have those conversations because we're worried that we we don't know so as we've kind of been saying normalizing just being there for people and kind of asking how they are and being a human being trying to be a, a you know a good friend a caring friend um that kind of thing is, re is really important uh say one more thing Hannah. yeah sure. i just think the other thing that's really important for people is if you know that somebody is struggling in your circle and you, but you don't feel you you haven't got it. You haven't got it to give because for whatever reason you're struggling yourself. Because obviously that's the probably the worst time to go in when you're really emotional about your own stuff. So it's how you have that conversation with yourself, or letting someone else know with their permission, or trying to work out something. Because it, you know that sometimes I think another reason why we don't do it, we don't say anything because we know that we're not quite in the right space. And I think that's also really important. So we're all looking after ourselves, but making sure that someone else knows um, that, that you're worried about some, whoever it is, your friend. I guess that comes back to the, the network or the community yeah. or the, the kind of village. Uh, the, village, I love the village. I wish we had villages like you. No, I want to go to Kenya now. <laughs> <laughs> some all places villages. Great. We've all got villages. We've we all do. got our communities. We, we do. do, we do indeed. Mm, not quite the same though <laughs> no, but I suppose that's where part of our villages and so I guess that's something that we can do that if that's the kind of village that we want where we are looking out for each other and supporting each other and if you're concerned being able to say and not in a I'm talking about them behind their back kind of way but in a we're all here for each other then that, that's maybe something we can think about how we can do that how we can create that village for ourselves mm. well, I think it's interesting what's going on in streets Certainly, I'm sure it's in all over the world during lockdown where we were, you know, getting to know neighbours that we didn't necessarily know. And, you know, you wonder whether there's been some great opportunities for people to be able to support someone who wouldn't have ordinarily even bothered noticing that they lived opposite or mm. next door. Awesome. So... I'm going to do another quick whip round if uh, if you'd like to share sort of your, your socials where people can find you and we'll put this in the video as well. So uh, if anyone wants to connect with anyone, if we do a quick run round, um, I'm going to just go in a shape and pick people. So Claire, you're on top left for me. Yay, I'm in the shape. I'm the first one. <laughs> um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Claire Davis. Um, my business is called Nova Associates. So I've got a website, novaassociates.co.uk. 
I also run a YouTube and a podcast called Mental Health Chats. Um, and as well as that, where else? I'm on Facebook with Mental Health Chats, Instagram with Mental Health Chats, um, and Twitter with Mental Health Chats as well. And can I just also say in a month's time, my book is coming out um, called Emotional Fitness A to Z for Positive Mental Health. So you'll be hearing about that in a month's time. <laughs> Awesome. Congrats. So I've got, I'm in the center of mine, like top center. So I'm going to go kind of at you. So Alison, uh, you're up next. Okay. So um, I'm on Instagram, Alison Two Minds. Um, uh, Facebook is Two Minds. I have a book out um, called A Path Travels, which is how to make sense of your life. So how to work out how your mind is. That's on Amazon. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn, Alison Blackler, Twitter, Alison Blackler. Um, and my website is two minds, two dash minds.co.uk. Thank you. Awesome. Shiggy. Ooh. Um, you can find me on, on Facebook as Shiggy Pactor. Basically, if there's anyone else you need to tell me, I must get rid of them. Um, no, there's just me. There's just me. It's all good. Uh, so Shiggy Pactor on Facebook, Shiggy Pactor on LinkedIn. Um, I have a podcast which I've been using as my own suicide bereavement therapy called Getting Shiggy With. Um, so there's a huge, I think, either an hour or 90 minute long second episode where it's called Suicide Happened on Monday, um, which goes very much into dealing with my mother's um, suicide last year, which... Uh, might be helpful for some people it might be slightly triggering so if you're having a bad day don't listen to it because i'm very raw on it um and i'm on instagram as l shig e-l-s-h-i-g and i'm on twitter as l shig e-l-s-h-i-g awesome and i haven't told you this yet but i was looking at dates and uh she and i recorded well actually all of us will be recording podcast interviews but yours is gonna come out on i think the 30th of september 20th uh -huh. of september so awesome uh, so people can listen to that as well. Anne. Uh, Anne Ellen on LinkedIn and my website is healyourgriefhealyourlife.com. And for those of you in the US, you can just call me direct. I like picking up the phone and speaking to people. 360-721-3433. Mm -hmm. Awesome. It, it feels really kind of, I don't know what the word is, but I don't know fun to give like a telephone number because it's just like now it's all like social media <laughs> I'm really... old school I don't want to be <laughs> I want to talk to you I want to yeah. you know want to connect yeah awesome and then Cara I'm just laughing because I'm going to be the other American who doesn't ever answer her phone so <laughs> typical of uh, millennials I'm an old millennial I just don't pick up my phone um <laughs> So you can find me on all the social medias when it comes to my first name, which is spelled with that H in it. So hopefully people can find me. So it's Kara, K-H-A-R-A. -A. Um, more specifically, I want to just name the nonprofit because I think that's where my heart really is right now is just making sure that people are aware of what we're doing and our focus on helping those professionals feel prepared to talk about suicide. So we do trainings, we offer different resources in the U.S. so far. Maybe we'll go outside of the U.S. here soon. And that's Catalively, so it's C-A-T-A-L-I-V-E-L-Y dot org. Thank you. Thank you for that. And look, we're like dead on an hour now, so <laughs> Whew, worked out quite well. <laughs> uh, thank you uh, so much to all of you uh, for, for joining us and for having this conversation and hopefully it hasn't felt too kind of uncomfortable or but 
heavy or whatever but i think uh, hopefully people watching or listening actually because hopefully <laughs> the logistics and the tech will work out and this will be coming out as a podcast as well but hopefully people have got something from it and taken away some of those messages so thank you all so much for uh, for joining me and, and giving your time so graciously i really appreciate it and thank um, you thank you hannah for organizing you. Thank yes So thank you again to all of my guests for joining me. And we have put, as I mentioned, their uh, their handles so you can find them on uh, the show notes. And when we put the episode out, they'll be tagged as well. So you can find them nice and easily from there. So I'm going to give just a couple of helplines. So for the UK, the one I always mention uh, is the Samaritans. Um, they're open 24-7. You can call and email them now. So if talking on the phone is something that you're not feeling comfortable with doing, you can also email them. So their telephone number is 116123. And their email is joe, so jo at org. Um, and so you can use both of those ways of reaching out and talking to someone. And it doesn't have to be if you're feeling suicidal, if you are struggling in any way and you want someone to talk to you, that is what they are there for. Uh, for men, there is the Campaign Against Living Miserably or CALM. Um, and so they're open from 5 p.m. to midnight every day. Um, and that's specifically for men. And their number is 0800585858. And they also have a web chat page. And so when you see the links in the show notes, that will be under there. Uh, Papyrus is a service for people under 35. They're open Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Weekends and bank holidays from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. And you can call them on 0800-068-4141 or text them on 07860-039967. And then Childline is for children and young people under 19. And the number doesn't show up on the phone bill. So if uh, for children and young people feeling worried about people knowing that they're, they're calling for support, that number is 0800 And the very last one for the UK, uh, there is a text, a new text, 24-7 uh, support service called Shout. So if you text Shout, the word Shout, to 85258. Um, and so again, 24-7 place you can go if you're struggling to cope. And so some of us feel more comfortable talking some of us might prefer text or email so there's a couple of different options for you around those and for the US and a special thanks to Cara for sending me a link for the resources for these because I'm not an expert on US resources and actually I'd probably to mention if uh, you feel that you are at an immediate risk to your safety or someone else's to call the emergency services so 999 in the UK or 911 in the US if there's that kind of immediate risk and concern. Um, for the US, again, there are some 24-7 uh, crisis lines. So there is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline Network, and their number is 1-800-273-TALK. Um, and so the numbers for the talk bit are 8255. So which is the numbers 1-800-273-8255. And if you are a veteran, if you press one, there is a special veterans part of it. And they also have a, a crisis text line. So if you text TALK to 
741. And that again is a 24 uh, 7 service. There is a Veterans Crisis Line, and that is 838 255. And then there are also some specific uh, service lines for substance abuse, sexual assaults. And so they will all be in the links uh, in the show notes. And there are also some other suggestions uh, in both the links for additional places to go for support, so services uh, to possibly access. Uh, so the link for the UK is a, a sort of NHS suicide prevention, suicide uh, help link. And for the US, it is from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So they have compiled these resources um, and we're just sharing the link uh, to help to help you find uh, support. So if you're struggling or you know someone who is, then uh, please consider using these services. And also, you know, if you feel able to, and this is something that we discussed can be super challenging using those family and friend networks and being that village um, which is sometimes easier said than done but absolutely I think something to bear in mind and try and strive for and I definitely uh, hope that my friends all know that I'm that I'm there for them but doing as as Shiggy mentioned that kind of reaching out if you are concerned and seeing if someone's okay and I often talk about the time to change ask twice campaign which I'm going to reference again which is if you are concerned about someone maybe you've not heard from them for a little while or you've noticed some changes reaching out and asking them how they are and then asking a second time because sometimes we all were asked how we are oh I'm fine yeah 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 I'm fine because socially we don't when someone says how are you we don't sort of unload everything we're really feeling we do that kind of socially acceptable thing oh yeah, yeah yeah I'm fine even if we're not. And if you are really concerned, trusting that instinct and asking a second time, saying, are you sure? You know, I'm here for you. Are you okay? And people might open up. They might not. Uh, And as we said in this discussion, you, no matter how much you try and support someone, no matter how much you try and be there, you cannot fix things for them. You can only support them. And sometimes that will be enough to help them. And sometimes it won't be. And it's hard to be okay with that. But but yeah, it's it's an individual it's an individual thing, isn't it? It's that sort of right to self-determination and making your own choices about your life and sometimes also about your death. So thank you again, yeah, to to Shiggy, Cara, Claire, Anne and Alison uh, for joining me for this. Stay tuned for their future episodes. And I really hope that you have taken something from this and have left feeling hopeful maybe in some way or more able to support people and if this is something that you really feel that is an important topic to you and you really want to learn more and and learn how to help people then check out volunteering there's uh, lots of uh, services that are desperate for volunteers if it's something you're really passionate about getting involved with charities uh, but also just being that village as we said so uh, hope you're doing okay um I really hope you're doing okay see asking twice um and I will be back on Wednesday for a slightly different episode uh but again it is another kind of awareness day and uh, as I mentioned as sort of Shiggy mentioned in this I've got a love-hate thing with them I think they are great for having attention turned to things that need to be talked about but the danger is that we then go oh well that day's gone we don't need to worry about it again but it is a sexual health education week 
And so we are going to be talking about sex positivity in sex education. So join me and Leanne Matthews for that on Wednesday. And I hope you have a good couple of days that you take some time for yourself to check in with yourself, be kind to yourself, all of that kind of stuff that I say over and over and over again. Um, But uh, I think it's super important to actually yeah, to check in and, and prioritise how we're doing, and particularly after a, a conversation like this, uh, which, as I mentioned at the beginning, can bring up a lot of stuff. So have a, have a good couple of days, and I will speak to you on Wednesday. Take care. Bye.